0: All right, there we go. Well, good morning. Oh, come on, you got to warm yourselves up a little bit. Good morning. There we go. Um, Before we come to the word of God this morning, um, you know what? I'm going to do something. I know that this is going to happen. There we go. Does that work? There we go. We were having some problems with that pack. It was cutting in and out, so I'm just going to use this this morning until we get that nailed down. But before we come to the Word of God this morning, I just want to take a moment. Um, If you look around the tent this morning... Uh, this looks like a very nice place to come and worship. We got the heaters going. Uh, Tuesday of this week, this tent didn't look anything like this. Um, you want to talk about answer to prayer. There's nothing quite like being in this tent when you're having 60 to 80 mile an hour gusts blowing through uh, this tent. And in God's kindness, it's not only still standing, but due to some sweet gifts of God to our church. Some individuals who came uh, this week, they literally basically put the tent back together, blew everything out, put the sides up, did everything. And so you know who you were that came and who helped. And on behalf of us who are able to gather and to worship here this morning, uh, we just want to thank you uh, so much. Because if you were here on Wednesday, yeah, let's give them a round of applause. It uh, it did not look like this, but I can tell you with great confidence, um, having been here when the wind is blowing ridiculously hard, uh, don't worry, this thing ain't coming down, okay? Uh, it, it takes quite a bit. And then the second thing I want to say thank you to is a group of individuals um, led uh, by Bill Sands. Um, if you look out later on today, how many of you have seen the cross up on the hill? Uh, that didn't just appear by accident. Um, some wonderful brothers in the Lord uh, helped to put that there. And so now when people drive past this property in the daytime and the nighttime, uh, the light shines on that cross that's up on the hill and it reminds us this is a place dedicated to the Lord. And so thank you to those of you uh, who made uh, that possible. It's a beautiful symbol, and uh, we just pray that this will be a place of gospel proclamation for years and years to come. So thank you to you that have helped with that. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series on prayer, and I want to start by telling you a little story of a company in uh, Japan. Uh, in 1985, this company in Japan was looking to manufacture um, well, the first efficient bread maker, an automatic bread maker to help out those in the kitchen uh, to make sure that they were able to cook bread without having to go to the store. I don't know how many of you have a bread maker, but if you do, you can thank this, this company. I'm going to butcher the name, uh, but it's the, the, the Machida Electrical Company. Uh, that's my best shot at it. Google it later. But the Machida um, Electrical Company, they were trying to make a bread maker, but they kept failing. Every time that they would process the dough through their bread-making machine, they would, they would find that, it, that the bread would come out with the crust being too hard, the center being too soft, and they realized it had to do something with the kneading of the dough as, as the machine was kneading the dough, and they couldn't figure it out. And so one of their engineers, a woman, uh, had this amazing idea. She said, well, well, what restaurant here in Osaka, Japan, makes the best bread? And so they figured out what restaurant that was. And so they asked if they could go and she could go specifically and work with the restaurant there in the making of the bread. She said, the reason why our machine isn't working is we don't have a, we don't have a clear enough example. We don't know how to do this. And so for, for months and months, she <laughs> went to the restaurant. She worked in the restaurant. She learned how they made the bread. And then she said, can we duplicate that through this machine? And sure enough, through her observations, watching the example of the bread makers there at that restaurant, that they were able to develop a component of the machine, this this rib-type device that helps to stretch and knead the dough as it's circulating in the machine. They couldn't have figured that out unless she had watched these fantastic bread makers within this restaurant and sure enough they implemented their design into their machine and it was the highest selling bread maker in the world the year that it that it came out and has continued to set the pattern for bread makers around around the world. Why did it work? Why did that bread machine finally work? They went to the place where they made the best bread and they said we want to learn from their example and when they learned from their example they were able to implement it Into their design, and they got the bread machine working. Back at the start of January, we started this series on prayer. And we asked the question what is prayer? Why is it that, that we pray? And we, we put answers forth for both of those questions. But now we come to a place in our study on prayer where we say, okay, we know what prayer is. We know it's this communicating with God, speaking to him, knowing that he's listening, knowing that he's going to respond. We, we, we pray to him because it cultivates our, our relationship with him. It grows us spiritually. It's how God works. But, but how do we do it? Fortunately for us, we don't have to guess at prayer. In fact, we can go to the one who offers for us the greatest example of prayer. The, 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 the master teacher, Jesus Christ, Himself. If you want to answer the question, how do you pray, there's no better person to go to than Jesus Christ himself. Can I get an amen to that? And, and, and not only does, does Jesus simply talk about prayer, but he models it for us. So I want to invite you, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going back to the Sermon on the Mount, because here in the Sermon on the Mount which we studied this past fall, and if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, it was Jesus coming and speaking to his followers saying, this is what it looks like to live as citizens of my kingdom. Here's how you function. Here's who you are. And sure enough, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus addresses is prayer. How do we pray? And what I'm going to do for us is I'm going to read the first part of it. We're going to read verses 5 through 8 to begin this morning. Jesus comes to his disciples as he speaks to us this morning, and he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret, Will reward you. He goes on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Stop right there. Here we are with Jesus talking to his followers, clearly talking about prayer, but Jesus does something when he goes to talk to his disciples about prayer. He starts not with telling them and us how to pray. He begins by telling us what? How not to pray. Did did you see that there in the text? He starts off, and when you pray, you must not be like, verse 5, verse 6, and when you pray, do not heap up Jesus comes and he does something very interesting. Before he talks to us about how we should pray, he says, here's how you should not pray. We often do this when we're trying to instruct someone in something. I remember one of the first times that I ever uh, went hunting. and went hunting for quail. I've, I've shared this story in a different context many years ago. But we were hunting for quail, and one of the first things that we were instructed on was what not to do. Before we ever fired the gun, one of the first instructions that we had that I... Let's just say almost violated. It's, it's iffy if I did or didn't. Uh, uh, the person is still alive. Um, so one of the first things this is as you're hunting quail, you move in a line. And one of the first instructions that we had was as you're hunting, going down the field in this line and people are next to you, aim your gun only what? Straight ahead in front of you. When the quail jumps up and flies across the horizon, don't go like this because why? there's people next to you. I might or might not have accidentally gotten close to doing that. But nonetheless, before we ever got out there, they said, this is what you shouldn't do. Why? Because they were trying to protect us. Jesus comes and does something similar here. He says, here's how not to pray. And the first thing that he tells us here is, do not pray trying to impress people. When you come to pray, it's not about you trying to impress other people. Prayer is about you communicating with God. It's not about you and those around you. You see, there were people in Jesus' day, most often the Pharisees, who when they prayed, did it purely for show. Jesus in this text, notice, says, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, that phrase is important because the term did not mean back then exactly what it means now. You see, the term hypocrisy or hypocrite in the New Testament, it's drawn from the cultural culture of that day. You see, a hypocrite was someone who engaged in drama or theater. That's where the word came from. It's someone who engaged in drama or theater. Those were the hypocrites. It was play acting. And so a hypocrite was doing something that was not real. The term had nothing to do, as we understand it today, about insincerity. We don't go around charging actors with being insincere. We understand that they're just, they're doing something. They're play acting. So what Jesus comes here, though, and he says, but don't be like the hypocrites. Don't pray just for show in front of other people. If prayer is engaging with God in communication, then why would you come to prayer hoping that people are going to notice you or pray in such a way that you're going to draw their attention to you? Prayer is about you engaging with God, not doing something just to impress other people. Jesus calls these individuals hypocrites who pray in this way because they're engaging in prayer which is supposed to be about you and God but they're doing it in such a way to try and impress others. If you're thinking about other people when you're praying are you really engaging with God? The answer to that is no, you're focused on them. See, in today's world, there's a way that we experience this in relationship with other people. I'm just going to be honest here, and and people can hold me to account later, even my wife on this. You can't really be listening to someone else while you're looking at your phone. Can I get an amen to that? Don't even try, like, oh, I can listen. I can hear what you're doing. I'm just looking at my phone. No, you can't do two things at one time. And so when Jesus is talking about the hypocrites there. He says, whatever they're doing, it might seem like they're calling to God and they're making words and speech to God. But that's not what they're doing. They're not really engaging him because all they're thinking about is, are other people hearing me? Now, as I thought about this, I don't think that this is a challenge for most people in the church today. I don't think that most of us are necessarily standing on the street corners or really eagerly. In fact, I haven't had anybody in my years of ministry come up to me on a Sunday morning and say, Dave, I really want to pray in front of the congregation. Can I do that? Like, people aren't, like, beating down the doors to pray in front of others. So does this really apply to us? Like, do we really struggle with this? Jesus says, here's one way that you shouldn't pray. Huh, so was it only their problem back then? I mean, this seems to be something that just doesn't affect us at all. Oh, but it does. See, what I think most Christians struggle with today is the fear of praying at all in front of other people because they are worried what people are going to think about them. See, you and I should have great boldness and confidence to never worry about coming to God in prayer when other people are around us. If you and I really understand that prayer is about engaging in communication with with God, what does it matter what somebody else thinks of my prayer? Are you tracking with me on this? See, what we struggle with is not praying to to get other people's attention. We struggle with praying in front of people, our spouse, our children, because we're worried about what they're going to think about us. And Jesus says, don't pray in that way. When you're talking with me, you're talking with me. Don't do it for show and don't worry about others. Don't let that bother you. When you're not praying to impress other people, when you talk with God, you're talking with God. God. And if you're in a group, don't worry about what they're thinking about you because it's, it's not about you and them. It's about you and me. But then Jesus says something else here. That's his first instruction on how not to pray. His second instruction on how not to pray is found in verses 7 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him here's jesus instruction do not pray trying to manipulate god into doing what you want do not try and manipulate god into doing what you want christianity isn't the only religion that holds to this idea of coming before a deity in a thing called prayer that's not something unique to christianity this is something that that many different religions believe Throughout human history, we see people, though, of other religions engaging in prayer-like activity, but other religions say that when you come before God, you have to come in such a pattern, in such a way, and your prayer is ultimately for the purpose of getting something from God. Many other religions hold the idea that prayer is like... You speak an incantation. You perform a certain ritual or a certain act, and God will respond to you because you came to him in a specific way. And that's what Jesus is referring to. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. He's talking about pagans, those of other religions, who they viewed prayer in that day as saying certain words in a repetitive nature over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again, hoping that you'll wear your deity down in order that he will answer your prayers. While it's true that God wants us to ask things of him in prayer, how you ask, the amount of times you ask, that's not what leads God to respond to our prayers. And so he says, if you're coming to prayer with the idea that if you say something the right way, you'll be able, I use a strong word there. I use the word manipulate. That might be too strong for some of you, but I want you to get the idea. You don't have to go to God, Jesus says, talking to him in a specific way with a specific formula in order to get things from him. That's not how it works. If you come to him in prayer in that way, Jesus says, you're wasting your breath. In fact, logically, he says, look at the end of verse 8, do not be like them, for here's the deal, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So, so if you think that your, your repetition in prayer or your incantations are what's going to draw the father to respond to you, he says you're missing the point, when i was a kid time of confession many of you know if you've been around the church i had a nickname as a child uh, i had a couple of nicknames the one i liked the most was the golden child okay and i received the nickname the golden child in my family because i believe this is why i got it i learned from the mistakes of my older siblings that's why i got the nickname what i mean by that is I would watch my older siblings, especially my two older brothers and sometimes my younger sister, I would see them do things that would have a negative um, impact on their lives. And I would think, hmm, if I don't do that, but I do the opposite of it, maybe things would turn out well for me. So I learned that I would watch my brother Todd or Aaron ask for something, but earlier in the day fail to do things that my parents wanted them to do. And so sure enough, when it came time for them to ask to go to a friend's house or to participate in something, they would go asking my parents, and my parents would then often say, what? No, you didn't do what you were supposed to do. I clocked that. And I thought to myself, okay, I'd like to go hang out with my friend today. So I'd clean up my room. In fact, I'd even go overboard. I'd be like, let's see, how's the garage look today? You know what? I'm like a, I'm like a little 10-year-old. I'm like, yeah, let's clean that up. We'll move that over there. And be like, mom, dad, could I go over to so-and-so's house? And they're like, did you clean your room? I'm like, yeah, I cleaned clean my room. I even took some time to go into the garage. You just put some things in order. You know, just, just, just in case, just in case you wanted to do that. So my parents always said yes. Um, but... It wasn't always from the best heart. But I, and I think all of us, fall into this pattern where we're like, you know what? We're going to do things. We're going to try and create the scenario, and, and we're going to try and say the right thing to get this specific outcome. Jesus is saying, if you come to God in prayer, listen, he already knows what you need. And in fact, you don't even know what you need. He knows better than you what you need. Don't come trying to manipulate him. Don't come and do that. Don't pray trying to impress people. Don't pray trying to manipulate God. It's not what it's about. There's a certain freedom in this, isn't there? I mean, there's a certain freedom in in knowing that I can just go to God, and it's not about what you're going to think about my prayers. And I can go to God, and it's not that I have to remember a certain magical spell in my mind, or i got to have ticked off all my boxes. It's not about that. Jesus says, put those things to the side. Because then right after this, he says, now let me tell you how you should pray. And this is what we find in verses 9 through 13. So let me read it together with us. Jesus comes and says, here's how you are to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This section is affectionately known as what? The Lord's Prayer. It's affectionately known as the Lord's Prayer. And if you grew up in the church, you've heard this prayed many times. You've probably even heard it talked about. And what I want to tell you right now is that there's more in this little prayer than I'm going to be able to cover just in in this sermon than than time will allow. In fact, next week is going to be part two of this. But this morning, what we're going to do is, is we're just simply going to consider what Jesus has to teach us about how we should approach God in prayer. Next week, we're going to get into the, to the nitty-gritty, if, if you will, of this prayer. But today, broadly speaking, Jesus already told us how not to pray, that the mindset that we shouldn't have when we pray. Today, we're going to look at the mindset that we should have as we approach God in prayer. And we're just literally going to look at the address here. The first thing that teaches us, that Jesus teaches us, is how to address God. There's so much in this little verse, verse 9, when he says, Pray then like this, that phrase is going to be important, Our Father... In heaven, Right out of the chute, when Jesus says, here's how you should pray, Jesus reminds us here that our relationship with God, it's not impersonal or distant. It is intimate. It is close. The predominant way that we look at God and we are to talk to God, Jesus says, when you address him, is as our Father. That address carries so much weight and actually leads us in to the very first point of how we are to pray. Jesus is teaching us just in that little address, calling us to call upon God as our Father when we pray. He's teaching us this. Talk to God like you would one with whom you have an intimate relationship. How are we to pray? We are to pray to speak with God, to talk with God like we would one with whom we have an intimate relationship. He doesn't say, pray then like this, our great, almighty, all-knowing God. No, he says, when you pray... Pray, our Father. If you've grown up in the church, like I have, or if you've been around the church for an extended period of time, calling upon God as Father is something that you've heard many, many times. It's very familiar with us. We, we use it pretty openly. But I want to tell you this morning... That up until the time that Jesus speaks here these words, this was virtually unheard of. To pray to God was not unheard of. The Jews did that for thousands of years. But to pray to God and address him as our Father was absolutely radical. You see, there was a, a German theologian who did a lot of work, and I'm grateful for what he did. His, his name was uh, Joachim Jermaeus. He studied the entirety of the Old Testament and the prayers of the Old Testament, and then he said, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to go to all the rabbinical literature from the Old Testament time period up to the time of Jesus and up to the 10th century A.D., And he looked at all Jewish literature, including the Old Testament, and he examined the prayers of that literature, and he walked away with something profound. There's not one instance in all rabbinic literature or in the Old Testament where people pray to God addressing him as Father. So when I say that for Jesus to come and to say, when you pray, pray our Father, when you address God, was absolutely radical because there's no prayers where that is ever modeled. It's not that the Jewish people didn't have the concept of God as their father. Israel was the son of God. They had that, but they wouldn't even speak the name of God, let alone feel so comfortable to pray to God and to call him Father. So on that day, when Jesus comes and, and his disciples are like, how should we pray? And Jesus says, well, let me show you. Address God as your father. They would have been like, whoa, no, no, no. What are, you, what are you talking about? Now, maybe they heard Jesus say that before, so they might have been a little bit more comfortable. But anybody around them saying, you don't call, we don't even speak the name of God. And you're telling us that we can call upon him as father? Jesus was the first person on record to take prayer and make it a personal discourse with God. And friends, let's be absolutely clear. During Jesus' life and ministry, he didn't speak Hebrew. He didn't speak Greek. He spoke what was common in that day. He spoke Aramaic. And when he was speaking to the people that were around him, he used the Aramaic phrase, Abba, as the form of address. Now, the deal with the word Abba in Aramaic was that's not the formal way of greeting a father. That's the phrase that we use to say Papa, to say Daddy. It's the phrase of intimacy. So this is why I say when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he's teaching us from the outset in this little simple address, our Father. He's saying when you talk to God, when you communicate with him, speak to him as you would with one whom you have an intimate relationship because you do. And that's crazy that we do. It makes sense for us to believe that Jesus could address God as Father because He was God's Son. For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us. Jesus is the Son. God is the Father. That works, Jesus. You can call upon Him as Father, but for us to do it, how can we do it? The answer is in 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has yet yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Jesus the Son dies for us gives us his righteousness. Our sins go on him. And in the process, we're brought into the family of God. So whether you feel it or not, the truth is, in and through Jesus, you are an adopted son or daughter. The relationship that Jesus has with the Father has now been given to you. You'll see there in your notes, and I just wanted to make sure that you heard me on this. You have an intimate and loving relationship with God because you are God's child. Do you believe that? Whenever we come to him in prayer, we're not speaking to the wind. We're not speaking to someone who is distant from us. We're speaking with one whom we have an intimate relationship. Now I have to pause here and address something and that is when we talk about God as father and we talk about this intimate relationship notice I also say it's this loving relationship that's what first john says he loves us and we're in relationship with him some people they they literally recoil at the image of God as their father. And the reason they recoil at the image of God as their father is because when you hear the word father, you impose your earthly father. And I understand the great struggle that's there. There have been many a father who have failed utterly and completely. All fathers never live up to to being the the type of father that God the Father is. But but some fathers have gone above and beyond just simply not always measuring up to doing those things which are abusive and harmful. And so every time that I mention this, I know that there are some that say it's hard for me to pray to God, to think about him as father because of the example of my father. If that's you here today, I want to give you this encouragement. Jesus says something In this opening address that could help you, notice when he says, Pray then, like this. He says, Pray then, like this, Our Father. I want you to focus on that word, Our Father. God is our collective Father. You are not talking to your Father, you're talking to our Father, who is where? In heaven. You're not talking to the, the God who in any way, shape, or form has treated you or engaged you. This is a whole different father than any kind of a father you've experienced on earth. You're talking to our father. The father who you know loves and cares you for you so much that he did not withhold his only son to die for you. And so I would encourage you and invite you into that intimacy, into that relationship. If you struggle with God as Father, take and set that aside and look at how the Father, God the Father, reveals himself in his word. Because I don't want you to miss out on the intimacy. I don't want you to miss out on the communication that can be there. He's not distant. He's not far off. He is near. And, and so as we think about this, just this very first little phrase, coming to him, engaging with, with him, doing so, believing that we have this intimate relationship, I think it leads us to consider three things, three practical ways then that we go to him as we pray. And the first one is this. If, if we come to him as we would with one whom we have an intimate relationship, number one, pray in such a way that you are open and at ease. Be open and at ease as you come to him. I'm not saying here that we should speak casually or flippantly to God because Jesus says he's our Father in heaven and hallowed should be his name, but that's going to be next week. When we say that God is our Father, when we call upon him in this way, when Jesus invites us to address him that, he's saying, Be open. Be at ease. He's your Abba. He's your Daddy. You don't have to be afraid of him as he comes. You come to him as a child to a father who you know cares for you. If you struggle with the idea of the kind of care that he has for you, go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall always be in need and lack all the time. Is that what it says? No, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. He provides, he cares. Be open Be at ease. You don't have to be scripted when you come. When I am often talking with those who have come to the faith and are are learning how they can grow spiritually, and we begin talking about prayer, uh, more than once I've heard somebody say, I just, I don't know, I don't know quite what to say. Notice how Jesus starts the whole discussion in verse 9 by saying, Pray then like this. Does Jesus say, pray this prayer? Is that what he says? He says, pray then like this. Jesus is coming and saying, listen, be open and at ease. I'm giving you a structure. I'm, I'm giving you a way to pray. I'm giving you an example. But God, your Father, isn't in heaven sitting there as you pray and thinking, all right, is he ticking off all the boxes? All right, Dave, all right. He said, hallowed be your name. Good, good. All right, your kingdom come. yes. Yes. God's not up in heaven thinking that way. The reason why I can say that is because Jesus himself has many prayers in the New Testament. Even his greatest prayer, the high priestly prayer that we find in John chapter 17, even in that prayer, Jesus himself doesn't follow this exact pattern of prayer. No two prayers of the New Testament are exactly alike. So, so if there's a hesitation in your heart and mind to think, I, I'm just not going to pray because I don't know what to say, I'm telling you, you can get over that today right now if you simply remember you're coming to your Father. You're coming to Him. He's not holding this against you, that you pray in a very specific way. As I was looking at this this week, and I was considering this concept of God as Father so I can be open and I can be at ease as I come to Him because I come to Him as Jesus Christ would come to Him because I come through Jesus, I want to just say something to the dads and the granddads here this morning. God makes no mistake when he identifies himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about the pattern here that Jesus gives and how we can come with openness and ease to God our Father. And you know what convicted me, dads? And granddads that are here? I come to you and say that we should be able to come to God the Father as a child would come to his Father, open and at ease. I began to think, does my relationship with my children, does it make them feel that way? Because the pattern of God's relationship with me is I should feel open and at ease. Dads, for us, as we hear this, I think there's just a side application to us. I think there's a side challenge here. We are called to model the fatherhood of Jesus or the fatherhood of God to our children. And so let us learn from how God the Father engages us. And I'm gonna pray for you and for myself that we would set that pattern in our own relationship with our children so that when our children grow and get older, they might be able to say, Dad, I always felt that I could come to you. I always felt that I could come. I was open and and I could be at ease with you. And that we could say, you know what, the only reason that I could model that kind of relationship with you is because I was so dependent upon my own relationship with my Heavenly Father. Some of you dads here today might even hear me say this and feel a little bit convicted by that. And if you think that your relationship with your children or grandchildren does not model the kind of fatherhood that God the Father has shown you, you know what? one of the beautiful things that you can do today (laughs) As you can take a step and you can even go to them and you can, well, as we saw earlier in the service, we can confess our sins and we can pursue that reconciliation and some of you might want to consider doing that even today. We come to him open and at ease, but there's something else. When we think about God as our father, there's something implicit in this. He's our father at all times, so we can come at any time. How are we to pray Some people say, is there a right time to pray? Should I do my morning prayers? Do I pray just at my meals? Do I pray just in the evening? Like, when should I pray? Jesus is saying, God is your Father. My Father's always there, so therefore, come to Him at any time. There is not a set time when you can come to God. You can come to Him at all times. This is is further enforced when the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. If we're called to pray without ceasing, it would imply that there's no wrong time to come to your father. When I was growing up, um, my dad, for, for a lot of my youth, he actually, his office, his company allowed him to work out of our house. And in order to get into his office, you'd have to go through my parents, you'd have to go down the hall, through my parents' bedroom, and then his office was through another door, Let's just say that there were certain times where I knew we should not come to dad, right? He would be on the phone. We could hear the speakerphone. And he's having a meeting. I knew that there were other things going on. And as, as a child, I understood the importance of, of not interrupting him. My dad's human. He's not, not omnipotent. He's not omniscient. But our God the Father is. It's never like, oh, so-and-so's praying over here. So-and-so. You know what I've heard many people say? And even in my small group at times, people come and say, you know, you know you get, so-and-so's got so much going on. Don't, don't worry about my prayers. I, they're not big things. Come on now. Come to him at any time. Jesus says he's our father. There's no hindrance in coming before him. We're at open. We're at ease. We come to him at any time. But then we come to this question, and we're going to fill this out even more next week, which is, so then what are we supposed to talk to him about? What do we talk to God about when we actually come to him in prayer? And the answer is very simple this. Share it all. Share it all. What can I talk to God about? How would you... Engage in conversation with someone that you are so intimate about, that you feel open and at ease with. You talk to them about all things. And so, what Jesus does to prove this point, look at the rest of his prayer, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus then says what we are to pray for, there is something so remarkable here. Jesus invites us. Jesus shows us that we can talk about it all. The big and the little, the glorious and the common, the majestic and the mundane, the material and the spiritual. Your kingdom come, my daily bread. Hallowed be your name, forgive my sins. Jesus says there's, there's nothing here. He gives a whole spectrum of what you and I will face in our life. The two big categories that he invites us to pray, what to talk to him about, is pray for God's glory and for our good. Share it all. Share it all. And next week, we're going to get into the specifics of this. But for today, my hope for you, my hope for me is when we say, how do we pray? Well, pray. Not trying to impress other people, thinking about them. Pray. Talk to God, not trying to manipulate him into doing what you want him to do, but pray to him as you would with someone who you have an open and an intimate relationship. Be at ease as you come before the throne of grace, knowing that there is no sin between you and God. Share it all with with him, and you can come to him at any time. And next week, what we're going to see as we look in the fullness of the rest of this Lord's Prayer is this. Talk to God like you would with one, I love this, who can make things happen. As you share it all, as you talk to him openly and freely, as you engage with him, you're talking to one who can actually make things happen. Do you know the Lord's Prayer? It contains six petitions, six things that Jesus says you're to ask of God. Why would Jesus do that? Because when you pray, when you talk to him, You're talking to one who can make things happen. And that one who can make things happen, oh, by the way, he's your father who loves you and withholds no good from those who are in his son, Jesus Christ. My prayer today is that you and I would have a boldness as we consider this, even this week, that there's nothing that we would hold back from him, but that we would come to him and never be afraid. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, that is a, remarkable, remarkable thing that we get to say. I know that I don't fully grasp it, Lord, and Father, help me. Help me to grasp the fullness and the radical nature. Help my brothers and sisters here to grasp the fullness and the radical nature that we get to call upon you as our Father, and that there is no reason why we can't come at any time, and there's no reason why we can't share it all with you, and that even when our prayers aren't what they should be, Lord that you clean them up, and, and, and you make them new. And so, Lord, help the hearts of my brothers and sisters here today. Help my own heart to walk in this this week, to be bold in our coming, to be bold in our sharing, to keep growing in this beautiful gift and privilege of prayer for the glory of your name and for our good. We ask this through Christ our Savior and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.